Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We thank you that we are not left without your word. But you have spoken so much to us, even to telling us the events of the last days and preparing our hearts for that. Today, Lord, I ask that you would fill us with understanding. Our hearts would be soft, that each of us would hear the word we need to hear, and that I, Lord, would speak so your voice is heard. In Jesus' name, amen. John sees the Ancient of Days seated on his throne with a heavenly court of elders and angels around him. In his right hand, God's right hand, he holds a book which is tightly shut, held in place by seven seals. Then a search is conducted to find a person who's qualified to take the book, break open its seals, and release the prophecies it contains. Only Jesus meets the requirements of the ancient prophecies and died on the cross, who died on the cross, is able to take the book and open it. And when he does, the events the scroll or the book describes concerning the last days begin to take place. As each seal is broken, the spiritual forces prophesied by Daniel are released. The divine hand that held them back for so many centuries is removed and the earth enters its final years of evil human government. As each seal is opened, God releases a deeper dimension of the Antichrist's empire, like a progression of photographs, snapshots of these tragic events unfold. But thankfully, when the sixth and seventh seals are opened, God begins to actively resist the Antichrist. Today, we'll attempt to identify the sealed book and the events signified by each seal, And then we'll assemble a partial scenario of the last days. We're only through the area we're going through and a little beyond. With the hope of finding a chronological order. And finally, we'll step back from the intensity of these events in order to ask ourselves, what lessons does God want us to learn from all of this? Revelation chapter 5. You recall that I preached on Revelation chapter 4 and we saw the Ancient of Days take his seat in the throne room. You remember that? I told you that chapter 4 of the book of Revelation is basically a closer look with far more detail of two verses in particular of the book of Daniel. Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10. Daniel, as he's seeing this vision of, the, of these Gentile empires, these terrible empires, Babylon and, and Medo-Persia and Greece, he also sees one that's different from all the rest. He sees the last terrible empire on earth. It's not Rome. Clearly it's not, and I won't go through that, but it isn't. It's the last empire that's on the earth. And in the middle of this thing, he begins to see the Antichrist rise up, and I'll explain that as we go. He then sees a courtroom in heaven, and he sees God the Father, the Ancient of Days, the old man is what that word means, but in a very honorable sense. The wise old man takes his seat. He glows with beautiful light, and then it says that Thrones were set up. We're not told in, in, in Daniel who sits on them, but we are told who sits on them in the book of Revelation. And then he says, and the books were opened. 
There's plural books. Actually, as we get into this, there are four books, or one case, it's a group of books. I'll tell you what those are as we go. We're going to look at just the first today. That's the heavenly throne room. That's what we see in Revelation 4. But Daniel's vision goes on. In verses 13 and 14, in the midst of the turmoil that's going on in his vision with the Antichrist, he sees this. He goes back into that throne room, and he sees one, it says, like a son of man. Now, that phrase, son of man, is Hebrew poetry. Uh, you and I, in English language, we rhyme things with the common sound. Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. And we, in fact, we think it's just beautiful and remarkable that blue and you rhyme. I mean, they, they have the same sound. Ooh, isn't that neat? So that's rhyming for us. And, and, but the, in, in, in Hebrew literature and in Hebrew thinking, they didn't rhyme with common sounds. They rhymed by saying the thing with just a different twist. So man rhymes with son of man. Jerusalem rhymes with daughter of Jerusalem. There's, there's, a, there's a turn, a twisting to the phrase, and you'll find it all the way through in many different ways. So when he says, I saw someone like a son of man, it's just simply a, a Hebrew poetry way of saying, I saw a human being. Daniel, as he's looking into heaven, sees the, God the Father on his throne, and a human being walks up before God the Father. And he's stunned. A man in heaven walks up, and then to him, we're told, is given dominion and authority and glory for, over all the peoples of the earth forever. Some man. Who is this man? We're, Daniel doesn't tell us. We're left going, who is that? Who is it to whom is given all dominion and authority? In chapter 5, John will tell us. We're seeing that very same event, and now we're going to know who it is. Chapter 5, verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book. Now, it won't be a book like your Bible. It'll be a scroll, a rolled-up uh, parchment. Written inside and on the back. That's a phrase meaning chock full of judgment. Ezekiel uses the same phrase. So both sides, it's so full of judgments, he's had to write on the back as well, not just the front. Chock full of judgments and sealed up with seven seals. Let me insert something. That's a meaningful phrase. At the very end of the book of Daniel, God says to Daniel, now I want you to take the prophecies that I have given you and I want you to seal them up until the time of the end. Mine says till the end of time. That is not what the Hebrew says, as though time ends. He says, until the time of the end. I want you to seal this thing up. Meaning, no one's to read it. The prophecies will not take place. They are being held in abeyance for a future time. Seal it up, Daniel. Well, now, God holds this sealed scroll, and he says, who will open this and read the prophecies, and the time of the end will arrive. Who will read it? All right, let's see. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seals, and no one in heaven or on earth, no one in heaven meaning no angel, on earth meaning no living human being, under the earth meaning no human being who's died and buried, was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, this is one of the 24, we now know who they are, the representative of the Old Covenant and the New, 
I think I know some of the names, rather certainly. I will tell you another time. Yep. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. Now that phrase is a, is a, is a powerful prophetic phrase that was given to Jacob when he blessed his 12 sons at the end of the book of Genesis. Do you remember that blessing? Old Jacob's about to die, and, and he's laying his hands on his sons, and he blesses each one of them, and he prophesies over them. But over, over Judah, who is not the oldest, he's the fourth in line, over Judah, he begins to say this really remarkable thing. He says, Judah, he says, the scepter, the, a king's uh, baton, will be between your feet and remain there until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh in Hebrew simply means him to whom it belongs. Until the one to whom it belongs comes and, and, and rulership will come from you forever. What a strange thing to say to your boy, you know? It was a prophecy. And so the elder says, this is the promise made to Judah, your father. Long, long ago, centuries ago, he is the one who fulfills it. Jesus, of course, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he also then says, it is the root of David. Now, I'm going to briefly just tell you this because this isn't really part of my sermon. Isaiah chapter 11 has a very remarkable prophecy. Isaiah sees the end of the Davidic dynasty before it happened. God had promised to David that the Messiah would be one of his sons. And so Israel kept waiting and he kept having turkeys for sons and grandsons and children, you know. And it was a real disappointment, and it got worse and worse and worse until you're just really scraping the barrel. And God showed Isaiah, he said, David's, David's dynasty will be like a tree that's cut down, and just the stump will be left in the ground. I will cut down David's dynasty, and indeed he did in 586 B.C. That was really the, the virtual end of it when the Babylonians came over came and took it. But you know, some trees die when you cut them off. You take a pine tree and you, you sever it like that, it will, it will die. But if you take some trees, instead of dying, they, they shoot up, I don't know the other term, but other than in agricultural language, a sucker comes up from its roots. No offense, Lord. <laughs> you, you, you've seen trees like this, you know what I'm talking about? Vine maples, and I, I, what, what are some of the ones we have like that? Boy, I'll tell you, the... My neighbor's got one, uh, 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 one of those quaking aspen. It just shoots stuff all through his yard. I mean, you, you, everywhere the roots go, it shoots up these things. So Isaiah says to David's family this. He said that the a divinic dynasty is going to be cut off. But he said out of the roots, out of an obscure place, and, and, and a relative who is obs who's obscure, not one of the direct sons of, of David, but somebody who's from David's family, from hidden, humble circumstances, will pop up, and I will raise up an entire new dynasty from him. Isn't that incredible? So who, who, who does the elder tell us, Jesus, as we're looking now to say, who is going to take the book? Well, it's, it's the lion from the tribe of Judah. It's the promise of Judah. And it's also Isaiah's prophecy. This is the root. You see through prophecy, you'll read the branch. This is the branch of David. This is the shoot from his roots. All right, that's who's coming in front of us. He is overcome to open the book and break its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the, and the four living creatures 
the elders and the elders a lamb. Well, who does John see? He sees Jesus, but he's still talking in symbolic languages. He does not see the monstrosity that we're about to describe. He's telling us in symbolic terms who it is he sees. He says, I saw a lamb, Jesus, the Lamb of God. And he says, standing as if slain, still bearing the scars. And don't you know the scars will be in heaven when we get there? You and I will see the scars on Jesus just as Thomas did. Having seven horns and seven eyes. Now that would be a monstrosity if that's what he was seeing. It's not, he's, he's telling us symbolically about Jesus. The horns on an animal are what they fight with. The horns of a ram, they butt each other's heads. The, 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 an, an elk or something, this is what they fight with. So the horns represent military power. All power, that kind of power. He has seven, fullness of power. And he has sight. He, he sees what eyes can't see. He sees with the Spirit all things. He is omniscient. So here he is, this lamb, still with his scars, full of power and full of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he does this, a great rejoicing and worship takes place in heaven. These elders, the living creatures, and all the angels begin to just worship him and declare this. I'm not going to read it, verses 8 through 14, but it's a very powerful passage. I'm come, I'll come back to some of these things at another time. Now we pick up at chapter 6, verse 1. He has that book, that scroll, with the seven, it'll be seven blotches of, of sealing wax or of clay uh, around, along its outer edge. And I saw the lamb, and he broke one of the seven seals. And I heard as of the four living creatures saying, one of the four living creatures saying, with a loud voice of thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, it sound, when you think of him sitting on a white horse with a crown, who does that kind of remind you of? Who do you think it kind of looks like? Jesus a bit, doesn't it? You think, who is that guy, the white horse and white hat? But it's not. It's not. It's a false Christ. This is the Antichrist. As these, as these seals are opened, the Antichrist will be released. Turn, now, you're gonna, we're going to go, do some traveling, folks. So hang on to this passage, and now we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians. And I'm not promising I won't go back there again either. So you might want to even hang on to that one, and then we're for sure going to Daniel 7. Paul wrote this explanation to the church in Thessalonica. He had only been there three weeks and then he had to leave. And they got it in their head that the day of the Lord had already come and they'd missed it. And so he's, clear, he's straightening these new believers out. And he writes this letter to them and he, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let me pick up right there. He said, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the coming of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy, that means where people renounce their faith and walk away from Jesus, comes first. And the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed the son of destruction. And then he says something that I'll pick up later. Verse 5, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, 
I was telling you these things. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. Notice that something is restraining the Antichrist. Do you see that? You know what restrains him now, uh, so that in his time he'll be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness, this Antichrist spirit, is already at work in the earth. Only he who restrains, he who restrains, will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. People have speculated and said, what is it that restrains the Antichrist? And I've heard all kinds of suggestions, most of them poor and one of them really stupid. Uh, one suggestion is it's the Holy Spirit. And so the thought is that uh, God is going to take the Holy Spirit out of the world with the, with the, with the rapture of the church and uh, then the Antichrist will be free. Folks, the Bible says that in him we are, all things are held together. So if the Holy Spirit leaves, we all blow up. It's just absurd. And then to simply take the thought a little further. I'm going to show you before we end today. There will be uncountable multitudes who come to Jesus Christ in the tribulation. Uncountable multitudes. And you're going to tell me that God has removed the Holy Spirit? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's a terrible, desperate punt somebody came up with. Um, I'm going to show you what's restraining him because we're told. Back to chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. Verse 1 again. I saw the Lamb. He broke one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice of thunder, what's he say? Come. Come. This, this, all of a sudden, God's hand is removed, the command is given, and Antichrist is released. That's what you're seeing. I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Finally, God allows the Antichrist spirit to come. Jesus, when he's talking about it, calls it false Christs. He says, he says one of the first things you'll watch for early in the process, he said that many will come saying, I am he. Don't believe them. J Daniel calls it the little horn. I'm going to show you that in a minute. Paul calls it there in Thessalonic Thessalonians, the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition. We're all talking about the same person. Verse 3. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, What? Come. Okay, here's the release. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it was granted, it was granted to take peace from the earth, that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Now the Antichrist is beginning to fight to form his kingdom. If you'd like, go to chapter 7 of Daniel. I, wanna, I want you to see a scenario that is the process by which the Antichrist forms his kingdom. When you see this begin to happen, you know we're, we're in it. There at verse 8, Daniel 7 verse 8. Daniel says, while I was contemplating the horns, these, these ten horns, behold, another horn, a little one, 
came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. Who is the little horn? It's the Antichrist. Now here's what he does. And he'll, Daniel will explain it further in, in the rest of the chapter. This Antichrist is not a king. He doesn't have a right to be a king, but he's going to come in and he's going to pull out by the root some king. He's going to, I don't know if he destroys the king's family, he, he will kill and take over the uh, one kingdom. He will then from there conquer two more, taking and forming a three-nation nucleus that becomes the center of his empire. From there, seven other nations will form a league with him so that you have ten nations who work in unity, and that is the empire of the Antichrist. So Jesus says, as things begin to really start, he says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, he's not just talking about wars, how many wars are there around the planet. He's talking about these wars. There will be wars that begin. Somebody will begin to rise, and as he does this and conquers this one kingdom, conquers two more, these begin to form in league, you begin to have a great warlike environment, probably like Nazi Germany. In fact, Hitler really was an, an earlier expression of the Antichrist spirit. When you see Hitler, you see that kind of personality at work. Now, back, hang, hang on to Daniel 7. We'll keep coming back. Go back to Revelation 6. So here we are, and we've got, we've got this. He's, he's going out, and he's, and he's given the second seal opens, and he's able to take peace from the earth, and there's this great... Uh, fighting to form the kingdom third seal when he broke the third seal i heard the third living creature saying come and i looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand and i heard something like a voice from the center of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius a denarius is a day's wage that's a lot of money for wheat and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine that kind of language is not simply um, famine. Uh, we're not having good crops this year. It's the kind of famine that comes from war. When the enemy burns the fields, when a siege is put around your city and you're starving and you're having to buy uh, what little stock is left in the city of food that's left. I, Ezekiel uses the fra same phrasing uh, when he's talking about the siege of Jerusalem that they will be bought for these expensive prices. That same language is there. So we're being told that he will begin to attack and siege nations, burning crops, great suffering and famine will take place as a result of it. Fourth seal. Are you having fun yet? This is the rough end of the book of Revelation. We're, we're going to get into some, some uh, uh, other stuff, but just hang on. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades, that's the grave, was following with him. Authority was given them to over a fourth of the earth. Okay, one half of a hemisphere is how this big this empire spreads. This is huge. To kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. There will be widespread genocide. I mean, this is massive killing 
and spreading of this empire. It's vicious, it's powerful, and it kills a lot of people. Number five, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They refused to renounce their faith. This is a religious, violent religious persecution is, is definitely part of this. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? When will we get justice? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. Why? Because God's waiting for every last soul. Remember that? And here it says it again. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Violent religious persecution. In, in Matthew 24, Jesus describes this very thing. Uh, and he will say there's a trigger event. And I'm going to tell you what that is in just a moment. There is an event that takes place that particularly marks what is called the Great Tribulation. From that moment on, it is the tribulation of the saints. As we go through this, you need to see something. There is the wrath of God, but there is the tribulation of the saints. Those are two different things. You and I will never suffer the wrath of God. He will do miracles to protect us. I, I'll show you that another time. But the, but the tribulation of the saints is something that's clearly described here and absolutely predicted. Jesus talks about it. He says, when this thing happens, I want you to, I want you to not, even, not even to go into your house to get your coat if you're on the rooftop. I want you to run for the hills for the worst religious persecution that has ever been known is going to break out. And he says, uh, if it were not stopped, all believers would be killed. But God will stop it. All right? Now, let me show you that. Daniel chapter 7, again. And then I'll show you the trigger event. Daniel 7, let's start at about verse... Uh, 20. Daniel is asking the, the angel, what, on, what am I seeing here? And he's having it explained to him about this last terrible empire. And he says, and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had the eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts. And I'll tell you what the boast is in a minute, which was larger in appearance than its associates. And I kept looking, and that horn was waging war and the, with who? Who's that? Yeah, that's the... Waging war with the saints, and how was he doing? What was the score? He's overpowering them. There is a season where God allows this persecution to, to move forward. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in the favor of the saints. That's this throne room scene we've just seen when he takes his seat and the books were open and this this verdict is given that's what Daniel and John are seeing is that moment of decision and the saints uh, of the the judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one of the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom and thus he said the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it and as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and he will subdue three. That's the scenario I told you. 
And he will speak out against the Most High, and he will wear down who? The saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alteration in times. It will no longer be the year 2006. What is, what's the beginning of, that, of, of 2006? 2006 years ago, what happened? Yeah, Christ. And so you can guarantee that the entire calendar and the, uh, the, the structure of time will be changed and dated something else. And in law, our laws, most laws, uh, are, are founded in the Bible. That will change. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. It's vague here, but we find out later that means three and a half years. But the court will sit for judgment. There's that throne room scene we've seen. And his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. And then the sovereignty and dominion and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to Jesus. Is that what it says? Kind of odd, isn't it? Look at it again. Isn't that surprising? Who's, who is it given to? The people of the saints of the highest one. Of course, we're all under the submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You. You and I are going to rule and reign with Christ. And it's in a very real sense. You are being prepared for rulership. The lessons you're learning, the character that's being formed in you, the wisdom that's being established in you, the faithfulness that you are showing transfers directly into the next stage of, of, of eternity. It's not lost. Aren't you glad these lessons of your, you're going through, they are not lost. You do not sort of grow wiser and more mature and then die. You grow wiser and more mature and carry that right into the next stage where you rule and reign with Christ using the wisdom and character that's been formed in you now on this planet. All right, so what is this trigger event? What causes this? Turn one page to the right, to, or, or two, to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. This is the prophecy of Daniel's 77s, or 70 weeks, you may say. In this prophecy, Daniel literally predicts numerically the exact date of Christ. If you follow this 69 weeks down and you run out the math on it, you come out to April 6, 32 A.D. I mean, that's honest math. I, uh, I've taught on this. I've had mathematicians in the church run this sucker down to, to see if I was telling the truth. And by George, it's the truth. So there's no question. It's, it's one of the most amazing prophecies. This is on a level of Isaiah 53. I mean, this is like, how did you know this? I mean, this is just stunning. He just got it from God. And so he prophesied the coming of the Messiah to the time of literally Palm Sunday was April 6th, 32 AD. Verse 26, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. He tells us that Jesus will die um, and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, he, the prince isn't there yet, but this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist's people will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is how Jesus knew. He said, every stone will come down. And its end will come with a flood. And even to the end, there will be war and desolations are determined. Jerusalem would finally be nothing but a haunt for wild animals. And he, the Antichrist, now we step forward and look at the very end of time. This prince who is to come has come. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's, that's for seven years. The Antichrist is no buffoon. He's not going to be one more of these fools that you see uh, running around, you know, just blasting guns into the air and looking like idiots. He is going to be sophisticated. He's going to be evil as all get out. 
but he's going to be smooth. And one of the things that apparently he's going to do is have a, 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 an edict of religious toleration of some kind. It says with many, so I don't think it's just with Israel. He is going to allow people to practice their religion. He, this, this vicious thing is going to spread out. He's going to conquer things. And then he's going to have this benign announcement that we may practice our religion freely. That will last for three and a half years. I'll show you. He'll make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, three and a half years into it, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Daniel's looking particularly at what happens in the temple in Jerusalem. It appears to me the temple's being rebuilt, that they have been allowed somehow to rebuild the Jewish temple. And he puts a stop to it. And then Daniel simply says, on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. This Antichrist will do something that is abominable. Now the word means this, it's so disgusting Whatever he does, and I'll tell you what it is, what he does is so disgusting that God has to act. It causes God to move in and bring desolation. God will not ignore what takes place. What is it that he does? He takes his place in the temple and declares himself to be God and demands that the world worship him. If you don't worship him, you get no mark on your hand or your forehead. You can't buy or sell. You begin to starve. Violent persecution takes place. Now, I, I'm telling you this, and you're all okay. I'm not making this up. I want you to see it. Oh, why don't you turn with me to? Let's start with Matthew 24. So you, what you just saw here in Daniel, look what Jesus says about it. So you don't think I'm making this story up. Matthew 24. Verse 15, Jesus has been describing this, this terrible religious persecution, and then he says this, Therefore, when you see the, what? Abomination of desolation, that abominable thing that brings desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, just what I read to you, standing in the holy place. Where is he standing? Whoa, he's gone right into the holy place, into, the inner, into where the, the Ark of the Covenant is, and he has declared himself to be God. How do I know that? All right. Second Thessalonians. Told you we're coming back there. All the T's are together. If you find Timothy or Titus, you're close. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 4. Paul is describing the Antichrist, and he's going to tell you what to watch for. Look what he says. He says, This son of destruction, this man of lawlessness, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his, what? Seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, I got other passages that describe the same thing. I, I'm not going to take you to any more. That's the trigger event. When that happens, Jesus says, and then he follows and says, when you see this take place, if you're on your rooftop, don't even get your coat, run for the hills. And he said the most violent religious persecution that the world has ever known will burst out. And he said no life would be left, meaning believers, except God intervene. But God will intervene. That's part of what we're, uh, a mighty part of what we'll see in the book of Revelation. God will intervene very, very powerfully. Okay, one more seal. Let's look at, look at back to Revelation 6. Told you you were going to fly all over. 
One more seal, verse 12. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as, a, as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. The air is so filled with dust, ash, smoke, uh, that, the, that the sun and the moon could hardly be seen through that dark, uh, grimy atmosphere. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth. I think the earth is shifted on its, on its axis by taking an impact uh, from an asteroid, is what I think is happening here. And the fig tree, as a fig tree casts its unripe figs, which was shaken by the wind, literally the stars move and are shifted. And the sky was split apart. This is not where Jesus comes. We'll see that. Something tra- terrible, cataclysmic is happening. The sky is split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places and the kings of the earth and the great men of the, and commanders of the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Massive earthquakes. Jesus says the same thing. God now. This, notice this was not a, 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 an angelic being saying come. This was not a releasing of evil. This is God's hand now beginning to step in and shake the earth. Let's put it in a chronological scenario of events. First of all, Jesus calls them birth pangs. We're seeing them here as seals. The Antichrist sets up his empire. He will then make at some, uh, at some point a covenant with many. Daniel 9.27 The Antichrist will allow religious freedom and that religious freedom will be allowed for three and a half years. At the end of three and a half years he will break his promise and he will commit the abomination. The abomination. He will, remember how it said the little horn made loud boasts with its mouth? What were the boasts? I'm God. I don't know if he declares, it, declares himself to be a divine Messiah of some religion. I don't know if he declares himself, uh, he will actually set up an image uh, like Nebuchadnezzar, the whole nine yards. He is going to demand worship. The abomination will take place. He will break his promise of religious freedom and declare himself divine. That starts the second three and a half years, which is called Jacob's sorrows. It is the tribulation. Antichrist will try during that period to destroy all who will not worship him. And that will bring the desolation of God. And God will go to war to protect his believers. Uh, just briefly, but first of all, he'll start with the trumpets. When the seventh seal is opened, the trumpets. Now Israel had two silver trumpets that they would blow when they were in the Exodus to announce war. I'll bet they were at different pitches. Probably sounded like a semi, you know, <laughs> something like that. But they would blast these things so that all, the, all two million people would hear and everyone would grab their weapons and rally to their posts for war. It was not the shofar. It was not that. It was, and I don't know how to do a silver trumpet, it, it was a blast of a silver trumpet. And it was announcing war. And as each trumpet blast comes, God is warning the world, saying, I'm coming. I'm going to destroy this. I will bring my judgment. Repent quickly, for the end is near. And we'll watch that. And then finally we get to the bowls. And the bowls is a point where it's just pure God's wrath. 
And remember what I said to you, God will never pour his wrath on you. That stuff's never going to come on you. But he will pour these bowls out on the earth, and the judgment and justice of God begins to fall on people who have slaughtered and done horrible things, and they begin to, to, to reap what they've sown, and, and the anger of God comes in that situation. What do we learn from all of this? This, was not an, this is not a happy scenario at this point, is it? You know, I have told you, you can, you can tell from where I'm going, that I believe, and I think all I'm doing is teaching it to you straight, I don't know how you would have read those words and have, and have surmised that believers will not somehow be suffering in these times. If you go to Costco, the theology there, and the stuff you buy, is that you are, and everybody, don't worry about it, don't sweat it, this all happens to Jews. If there's any anti-Semitism in there, I, I wonder. Um, this all happens to Jews, but we Christians, we all go up first and then just get to watch from down up above while everybody's fricasseed down below. Go with me one more place. Revelation chapter 7. John sees here, and I'll just summarize it quickly, but I want you to see something very powerful. He begins to see into heaven this great mass of redeemed people. At first he sees redeemed Jews. There is a great gathering of 144,000, in other words, a complete number of Jews who believe in Jesus Christ, and that's who they are. And then he says in verse 9, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, all of the Gentiles, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hand and crying with a loud voice, and here they are worshiping. And then go, let your eye go down to verse 13. And then one of the elders answered and saying to me, Well, who are Though these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And John says, you've got to be kidding me. I don't know. You do. And he said to me, these are the ones who come, now where? Out of what? Who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no more. Remember, they couldn't have the mark. Nor thirst anymore, nor the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many are there? A great multitude that no one could count. Now, are you going to tell me that Jesus is going to take all of the believers, all the mature Christians out, and then all of this will start. And multitudes of people, so many millions or billions, will come to Christ during that terrible period that you can't even count them. But we won't have any church there or somebody's got the Holy Spirit gone too. That's a fascinating process. How many so get converted without the Holy Spirit? Amazing. What a wonder. No. That's silly. That teaching that the church would go out before any of this difficulty did, never existed in all of church history. No one ever thought of that concept until 1850. And a 12-year-old girl, 11-year-old girl, prophesied 
and a Plymouth Brethren pastor's church. His name was John Darby, and he began that teaching. He took her prophecy and, and went with it. Do we go through the wrath of God? No. He will never pour his wrath out. You just have example after example of that. You know that won't happen. Will there be many who die and many Christians? Will there be tough times ahead? Yes, there will for Christians. Where are we on this scenario? Is it time yet? I don't know. You can see, as we get into it, you will see some rather alarming similarities <laughs> to the days we live in. But I don't know the time. I'll tell you this. Here's what I do know. It tells me some important things. One, it tells me I need to make use of every moment of freedom and of resources that we have now. Do you realize what a blessed time we're living in? We have a time when we have, we have each other. We, we can meet in a building and we can sing loud and, and rejoice and worship the Lord with no fear that there will be police at our back door. Let's use these days. We can, we can give to missions and send missionaries and people all over the world. We can go down the street and care for people and love people openly and boldly in Jesus' name. Let's not waste it. For the Bible says a night is coming when no man can labor. Let's not be fools and waste this precious time that we have. There is trouble down the road. There is not an infinite number of days. There is not an infinite number of opportunities. Life will not just go on and on and on forever. There is an end. There's a beginning. There's a middle. And there's an end. As a pastor, I'm aware of this. And I don't like to, I don't want to, I don't like, I, I don't want to be alarmist or frighten people. But I know I have in my own heart a sense that it's important for me to do to, to everything I can do to see that you and I become true disciples, deeply rooted in the Word of God, knowing the Holy Spirit. One reason I want you baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want you to be able to move in the Spirit. It's not enough to just sort of be a pew filler. I mean, you know, yeah, I believe that stuff, and then just sort of sit there. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to hear Him. You need to worship Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be able to hear the voice of God. Why? Man, when the going gets tough, the people that are find safety are the people that can hear the Lord say, don't go in there, turn right, turn left, do this, stop, don't do that. That's your protection. If you don't have that radio on, if you can't hear that, if you don't move in that dimension, you are at a handicap. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm saying you're at a handicap in hard times. I want you to have that. These are wonderful days for us to sink our roots deep in the word of God, to love each other, to learn to worship at home, to get the Bible in us, to get strong, because there are difficult times possibly coming in our lifetime. Maybe not. And we say that in America while so many people are just dying like flies in other parts of the earth. It's a serious time we live in. And the book of Revelation says, told us it was coming. Aren't you glad you have Jesus? Is there anything that the world could give you that is worth trading it for eternal life with him. You know, I'll tell you, I mean, what can you do? Threaten to take away a little more of this world? Whoa. Don't do that. So that I would forfeit? Man, when we get in, as we go on into this book and you see what Jesus Christ has in store for you, 
It is, it is virtually so amazing there aren't words for it. We have a glorious eternity waiting for us. But let's use these days wisely. How many of you know that you know that you know that you belong to Jesus Christ and he will never let you go? Hold your hand up. Lord, we just testify to that. We declare, we worship you, that you have come into our lives. We're so grateful you waited for us. We're so grateful for who you are. And we just confess to you, Lord, that you who are in us are greater than he who's in the world, that there's nothing that can take us away from your love that we have great big arms around us and mighty angels, that you have provided miracles, that you will never forget your bride, that you love us with a tender love and you will care for us. Lord, we just ask you to strengthen us, make us strong disciples and put our roots deep in the word of God and make us people full of the Holy Spirit, that as we live in these times, no matter what's ahead, that we would be fruitful and we would be strongly planted in you. That would be our heart's desire. Would you put your hands down? I have one more question, and I'll just ask it briefly. You saw every, most everybody in the room raised their hands. They said, I know that I know that I belong to Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. As we go into this book, and as, as these things begin to happen in history, we're not frightened. We're not frightened, because, man, all it means is our Lord's coming soon. And so... Boy, when some people are hiding in the caves and asking the rocks to fall on them, we're, we're out there going, I'm here, I'm here. You know, actually, you won't have to. I said, we'll shoot up a flare so he knows where we are. You won't have to. You'll be a flare. Up you go. At that point, you're going up just like wham, you know. So we're not afraid. This is a great moment for us as we head into it. We know who's with us, but you might not. If you have never deliberately, personally, with an act of your will and by faith said, I repent of my independence from God and I submit my life to him and he, he is my Lord. And I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, in dying on the cross, paid for my sins. And that you not only believe it happened like an historical event, but you cling to him and will cling to him to the last breath in your body that he forgives your sins, that it's because of what he's done, the door of heaven is open to you. His righteousness, not yours. Those two things must be true. You must have believed it. You must have embraced it deliberately and willfully. Now, whether you grew up in the church and you sort of osmosed into that or whether you have a crisis moment, it doesn't matter. But where are you today? Do you believe it today? Are you sure that he's your savior? Have you submitted to him as your Lord? Have you welcomed the Holy Spirit to dwell in you as a living temple? That's the born again man or woman. Is there anybody today who says, I want to just seal that. Today's my day. I'm choosing Jesus as Savior and Lord, and I'm confessing that right now. You want to raise your hand and just say, this is my day. Right now, I'm confessing this. He is my Savior and my Lord. I have no other. Anybody at all? This is one of those moments when the door opens up. Yes, praise God. Hallelujah. Anybody else? This is, we're not in a hurry, folks. I'm so glad you're willing to do this. Yes, another hand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, it's over. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. I'm confessing it 
publicly, I'm making a decision right now. I'm saying from this moment forward, Jesus Christ belongs to me and I belong to him. Anyone else you want to join these who've raised their hand? Yes, praise the Lord. That's why I wait. This takes the Holy Spirit a little while to just kind of draw the heart. Praise the Lord. Thank you for making these decisions. One, this is the last, the last request. Anyone else you want to raise your hand? All right, church, would you pray with me? Those who've raised your hands, we're going to pray that prayer. We'll join you. We're all praying together. Pray it and mean it. This is it. This is, this is that moment. Dear Heavenly Father, this day, I repent of being independent from you, of, of, of living my life apart from you, of being my own judge of right and wrong. I know who you are, the loving and true God, knowing all things, loving me with a perfect love. This day, that independence stops. I put my hand in yours and I will follow you and live for you the rest of my days. I joyfully call you my Lord. Jesus Christ, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe the Father sent you to the cross. You died there for the sins of the world. You paid the penalty that we who are sinners should have paid. Today, I give you my sin and I embrace your cross. You died for me, dear one. I trust you. You have paid for every sin I've ever committed. You've paid for every sin I will commit. You are my righteousness. Because of you, I'll go to heaven. Because of you, I'm washed clean, totally forgiven, and I'm a child of God. Holy Spirit, baptize me, fill me, rivers of living water. I am a temple, a living temple. Come inside me and dwell in me forever. Never leave me. You are my strength, my goodness, my healing, my guidance. I need you, and I will forever. Come inside now. I ask in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you prayed that, you mean that, if that's where you are, you're a born-again man or woman. You're a born-again man or woman. This is the repentance, faith, and then what God does automatically by from his side, filling you with the Holy Spirit. That is the new birth, and we are children of God. What's the next step? Water baptism. You've water baptized, or I would certainly encourage you to come and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You already have the Holy Spirit, but just give him all of you is what happens. We just give him more of us when we, when we come on that night, and that's next Sunday night. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, 
please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.